Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 81. We have a lot of parents and youth coaches trying to microwave young athletes. And we're really skipping those early stages of fundamental movement skill acquisition. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon, and today we have members from our Long-Term Athlete Development Special Interest Group Executive Council on the podcast, Dr. Joe Eisman, Rick Howard, and Tony Moreno. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having us, Eric. Yeah, so I want to get right into this topic. Um, I want you guys to just share a little bit about your special interest group and what makes long-term athlete development a, a, unique, a unique focus within the NSCA and the strength and conditioning community. That sounds like a Rick Howard question. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll field the first one. I'm sure you two will chime in as is um, anticipated. Uh, thanks for the question, Eric. Actually, the Long-Term Athletic Development Special Interest Group started off in 2004 as the Youth Special Interest Group, and we had partnered and talked extensively with the High School Special Interest Group and other special interest groups within the NSCA. We didn't want to create anything new if something was already in existence, but we found that there was really a need for educational materials and camaraderie among NSCA members who actually worked in a youth population, whether that was age six, age 16, or 36. So it has kind of expanded from that period of time. It was officially renamed the LTAD Special Interest Group, I think two or three years ago now, to better reflect that we really are a cradle to grave special interest group where we're working with people from the start of their time being physically active all the way through the life course with their physical activity. So we kind of touch upon all the other special interest groups within NSCA and all the NSCA membership, but I don't think that a lot of people really recognize that yet. But the stretch from calling it youth kind of helped us to expand and beyond just what it was working with children and adolescents. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was um, introduced to long-term athlete development when um, in the early 2000s, I think it was 2005 with the Canadian Sport for Life um, LTAD resource paper came out and um, that whole cradle to grape concept was really uh, inspiring. I remember, you know, I was working in professional baseball and it was it just, uh, you read it cover to cover and you, and you, it makes you think, wow, I could have this facility and, and really, you know, work with kids and just develop, uh, these phenomenal athletes go through their entire careers and then kind of circle that back into the lifespan. So, um, and just overall wellness, it, it is a really, uh, interesting kind of underpinning in the field. Um, and, and sometimes maybe not the most well understood, um, you know, as it relates to physical education, physical literacy, also trainability and developmentally appropriate training practices. Um, where does strength and conditioning fit in long-term athlete development? Um, I don't know which one of you guys wants to, wants to answer that question. I'll let you guys kind of just jump in where you want. Oh, Joe. Um, I think all three, obviously all three of us (laughs) can address this one, but. Um, another great question. And as we speak, the three of us are kind of in the midst of trying to get all the other players on board and on the same page. And as Rick always likes to say, oars in the water, but, but rowing in their same direction, because we have other players besides strength and conditioning. Um, I mean, think, think of all the major organizations and major stakeholders who have an interest in, 
youth physical activity and physical activity, physical fitness and athleticism across the lifespan. You know, we talk about American College of Sports Medicine. We talk about all the sport, all the other sport medicine groups like orthopedics and physical therapy and athletic training. Um, and then even getting into, you know, physical education with Shape America. Um, so right now, I think the NSCA and the NSCA LTAD special interest group are in a really good position to lead this charge. Um, and, and I'm going to take a half a step back because it's not necessarily leading because this has to truly be a collaboration. And the other thing that we're really trying to push, and again, thanks to Rick and kind of spearheading this idea and concept with our group is collective impact. We have to get all these major players, major organizations. And again, it's top down, but it's also bottom up. Like think about going into a community or even going into a school and all the different major players and stakeholders within that school building or soccer club, whatever it is. Again, the athlete has to be central, health and well-being of that young athlete. And maybe we should take another half a step back and define who we mean by athlete. You know, you were talking about pro ball players, but we're all athletes. You know, everybody should be proficient to some level in physical exercise and sports skills. Um, so it's really, you know, all student athletes, all young people, all people across the lifespan again. Um, but I think, you know, getting back to your question about the role of strength and conditioning, I think, you know, right now uh, we're positioned really well to steerhead, lead, um, and be a key organization and being key people as well. And if I may just have just a couple more minutes, I know my friends here are waiting for me. Um, I've been given a talk over the last couple of years and I talk about long-term athlete development. <clears throat> and at the end of this talk, and Tony and Rick have seen me give this talk, at the end of the talk, I have a slide that says, we're in the echo chamber. Everything I've said about long-term athlete development, everybody knows, everybody understands in this room. Most of the time, strength and conditioning coaches are in that room. And I put a charge to them. Your role as a strength and conditioning coach should be to get out into your community and lead these efforts. You know fundamental movements. You know skip, hop, run, jump, throw, catch. And you know the major underpinnings of solid programming for exercise prescription or strength and conditioning. Get out and lead the charge. Yeah, that's that's powerful. I think that is that is the message. You know, when I hear you guys speak and we've connected over the last few months um, in individual conversations um, uh, about the special interest group. Um, and you guys are so passionate about this topic. Um, what, you know, how, what got each of you involved with this and inspired by long-term athlete development? Um, you know, I think a lot, you know, a lot of people look at the strength and conditioning field and, and don't always take it to that deeper level. And this is a good example of a topic that, uh, that, you know, that underpinning concept of, you know, LTAD, uh, is reflected in all areas of our field in all of our special interest groups, uh, from professional athletes all the way down to youth, 
um, our personal training audience, our tactical audience? Um, what kind of engage you guys with this as a sort of a, a mission to promote this topic? Well, maybe I'll just jump in. <laughs> this is my cue, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I can speak for myself, and I think I, I'm sure Rick and Joe can chime in as well. But I think a lot of it just starts from our own personal backgrounds. You know, we were all kids. We all enjoyed playing various types of sports and activities. Rick's still the strong man. Joe's out there doing his sprinting. I'm coaching lacrosse and, and playing pickup basketball. You know, we all have this passion to be physically active. And as, as academics as all of us are, we have a curiosity. You know, how, how does one learn how to become a better mover or stronger or more powerful? Um, whether And for, from a performance perspective and from a safety perspective, we have this curiosity and it's this curiosity that leads you down so many different roads, you know, um, growth and maturation, strength, agility, speed, balance, power, all these attributes that go into what makes a person quote unquote athletic. And it's, you know, for us also coming from different perspectives and backgrounds, you know, there's this mix of what you find in sport, but also the issues um, being in academic institutions of increased overweight obesity, a decline in physical activity, physical illiteracy. And, and so all of these things just to make um, our, our culture uh, more of a movement culture, because right now it is not. And, and how can we do that? And I think, you know, I, I've known Joe for quite some time as, as a student at, at MSU, and I, I've run into Rick, and I've seen Rick's name in many places as a member of the NSCA. I've been a member of the NSCA for a long, long time. And, um, you know, when you find people and, and you and you listen to people, and, and Joe and Rick are, are two of these people in, in my purview that I've, I've listened to their views and, and read their things and the materials, and we have shared and common interests. And I think the most powerful interest that we all have is that we all have passion. I think that's our most powerful um, tool. We're, we're ambitious, we're passionate. And, and the last part of it is we're, we're trying to get some purpose behind this, as Joe alluded to, and, and Rick has called collective impact, trying to get everybody to work together. But, you know, for speaking for myself, you know, I started as a volunteer in, in, a, uh, in a weight room at Long Beach State University. I've worked in health clubs. I've done everything you can do in a health club, greasing guide rods on a Nautilus machine to owner operator. Um, I've worked as a graduate assistant. I've been an academic. And, and so I have this broad background, but I've also had kids and my kids play sports. They play club soccer. They play club cross. I've listened to parents. I've dealt with coaches that come from a variety of backgrounds and experiences. And I just want to make sure that it's done right. And I think Joe and Rick, um, you know, from their experiences, and I'll share with you, uh, same thing. We just want to make sure that, that things are, are not only done right, but into the right hands of the right people that are dealing with kids, whether it be in a community recreation setting, a school setting, or a club sports setting. We just want to make sure that um, it, it's good material and it gets in the right hands and it's disseminated so that we can all move together um, to try to institute some type of uh, change culturally as it relates to movement and, and best practice in the realm of strength and conditioning. Eric, one good, Eric, one good yeah. thing about the three of us is usually when one person talks, they speak for the, all three of us because Tony, Tony, I was noticing yeah, that. Tony, uh, yeah, yeah, I was Tony, noticing. <laughs> yeah, Tony nailed it. No doubt. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's great. I can tell you guys have, uh, maybe done a few of these podcasts before and, and worked, uh, and worked together, uh, on this project for, for a long time. Um, 
give us some examples of uh, long-term athlete development and action, maybe some success stories from, from youth sport, um, school, all the way to like recreational settings that um, can kind of put this in a context so people have a little better understanding of LTAD. Yeah, we just did a, uh, what we call LTAD chat uh, this morning. We've been doing it on Twitter and now we came uh, live on Zoom. Um, I'm gonna give that one example that I think we'll just pass the ball around here because we've also been doing something called um, LTAD Playgrounds where the three of us host a one day grassroots implementation workshop. And we have several great stories from that as well. But getting back to this morning um, where we really see LTAD in action is in the Premier League Academy um, system. Obviously, the resources there are fantastic. I mean, we had a multidisciplinary team on this morning, head of sport coaching, the head of sports science and sports medicine, one of the physiotherapists, and then one of the applied sport uh, scientists as well. Um, but the way that they integrate and have their program aligned vertically and horizontally as these kids go from you know the U8 all the way up to the first team is incredible. Um, and I think it's one thing that we can do in the United States is look to some of those really gold standard programs and make it big time where we are. Like we can't have somebody at a small school district in the middle of Kansas or wherever say, oh, yeah, we can't do that here. We don't have all those resources. You know, we still have the framework. We still have the blueprint. And if there's a will, there's a way. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that with COVID right now, aren't we? But some of the things people are doing without a lot of resources in their backyards, in their garage. And we're seeing more unstructured play as well. Um, so I'm going to point to that as really a, you know, gold standard kind of model for long-term athletic development in, in action. But again, I'm going to pass it off to these two because we've had other individuals who are in, you know, less resourced environments and they, they've been showing some, uh, some great programs as well. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share one from one of our LTAD playgrounds. Um, not to toot his horn because he's now he's actually an NSCA board of directors member, but Darnell Clark had actually invited us down to his school so that we could have the conversation and, and Darnell was able to organize the administrators in the school of the athletic programs, teachers all the way from the system through elementary, middle and high school, the coaches and the strength and conditioning staff to all commit to a Saturday together to figure out how they could implement long-term athletic development within their entire program. So not just within strength and conditioning, and that's one of the conditions that we're trying to work on a little bit, is that there are so many strength coaches who work in silos and what they see is that the one place where they are and what Darnell was able to do was to be able to showcase how the strength and conditioning program had a huge influence on the elementary education, on all of the sports teams, and on the long-term success of all of the students in the building. Their athletic trainer was there as well. So it really showed strength and conditioning in the limelight and how it affected elementary, middle, and high school. 
and how it could be integrated into the curriculum horizontally and vertically. So among all the different subjects, as well as up and down the curriculum. So I thought that was a great example. Yeah, we 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 also had um, two middle school and high schools on our LTAD chat this past weekend, one from Farmington, Minnesota, uh, led by Scott Meyer and the other in Traverse City, Michigan, uh, led by Doug Lee. And those are two other great examples along with the one that Rick, uh, Rick mentioned. And, you know, there's several others across the US. I just think, you know, we need to get this message out and, and, and help others build these type of programs um, as we move forward. Yeah, and, and you know, in my case, uh, Eric, uh, I'm, I'm president of a local youth lacrosse league, and we serve grades three up to eighth, both boys and girls. And so I deal with predominantly volunteer parents that serve as coaches, and they don't have the same background as most of us in the sports sciences or exercise science or physical education. So we have to take this, this framework, this LTAD framework, and we have to make it digestible for them so that they can understand what this framework is all about, put it very simple. And then the second part is to implement. How do we get everybody, uh, parents, coaches, kids, uh, league directors, how do we get them all to buy in to the benefit of an LTAD uh, framework? And so I share some of the experiences uh, that I take away uh, from some of our playgrounds and communities and things of that nature with our coaches um, so that ultimately we get buy-in and, and we collaborate with our, our high school coaches. Uh, we're not connected to our high school, but we've created a community framework where what we do in a community recreation setting complements what will take place now at the high school setting. So it, it's little things like this that can be done in communities that are strapped for resources, uh, and but whether they be physical or educational or facility, whatever, that, whatever they might be. But uh, to get it down there uh, so that people can create their own um, frameworks that fits their community. Every community is unique in terms of geography, diversity, socioeconomics, and things of that nature. Um, so that's really the challenge. And, and I agree with Joe, I think it can be done, um, you know, but it's good to look at these high level models as, as we had earlier this morning on our Altad chat and how do we make that so that we can use it uh, at the least common denominator uh, in terms of, of what's happening uh, culturally in the United States. Yeah, that, uh, I have a lot of follow-up questions on, on what you guys all just said, but um, what it, it, came to mind, you know, who are the leaders in promoting long-term athlete development? It's such an opportunity for strength and conditioning coaches um, with the training that we have to kind of step up in this, this arena, um, you know, going off what you said, Rick, with the physical education teachers, sport coaches, athletic trainers, and it, it is such an opportunity. Um, and it is a powerful message within that, within strength and conditioning. Um, so Joe, um, you mentioned that kind of that ideal or that premier league model. And, um, if that is the ideal or the, the well integrated model of long-term athlete development and sport, you know, what are some of the other challenges we have right now in, in striving towards that model? You know, how do we get there? And what's it going to take? 
leadership, both from an organizational perspective and getting everybody on the same page and also at the local level leadership. Um, and I guess there I'm speaking about athletic directors and sport administrators. So Tony was talking about his community lacrosse program. Well, Tony's the president, so he's the leader, right? He buys in and he, and he educates and he implements. And then the last piece, accountability. Because again, we have enough educational materials. Like the three of us always say, we know what to do. We're just not doing it. And then people get educated and they begin to implement it, but then there's nobody perhaps above them to hold them accountable. So there becomes, you know, uh, there's a phrase in long-term athletic development that it's athlete-centered, coach-driven, administrator-supportive, supported. So, you know, making sure that we have great leadership, both within top level organizations like the NSCA and some of the other big brand organizations um, related to our field. But then again, also at that local level. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be a sport administrator or an athletic director at a school because we're just looking for a champion within that school. Obviously, it's much easier when you do have the person who, you know, the buck stops here. Um, who's on board. It makes it so much easier. I, I think another barrier in, you know, in American sport culture that, that the head sport coach has so much power. It becomes very coach, a very coach-centric environment. And we know that we have these silos and we know that we have these head-butting contests between the sport coaches and then the strength and conditioning and athletic staff or athletic medicine staff as well. So, you, you know, getting the sport coaches to buy in and understand and align is another challenge and barrier that in some situations um, is really holding up the show for it to be implemented properly. But again, I'm going to go back to leadership because if you have a strong leader, that strong leader steps in and says, hold on a minute here. This is the right thing to do. This is best practice. We all need to get on the same page to do this. Um, I'm going to just give one quick example of that with a school district that I worked with where they did have a very strong athletic director. This was at a high school. Made sure all the coaches were at the initial meeting to talk about the framework and the implementation of it. Um, made sure that all sport coaches reported to me um, what times they were available to have their kids come into the weight room and or me or my staff to come out to practices and help with dynamic warm-up or on-field strength and power development, speed development. But the story is one day he steps out of the school building and he surveys all of the courts and the fields that he can see. And the soccer coach wasn't out on the pitch yet. And the boys, as boys, high school boys will do, were goofing around during dynamic warm-up, going through the motions. He gets on his golf cart, drives across to that field, takes off his jacket and his tie, and leads dynamic warm-up. That was the athletic director. That's cool. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's buy-in right there when, um, you know, filling that void and stepping in and, 
and um, doing what's right and setting the example. And I'm sure the other coaches um, that that may have come in late on that scene that that sends a very powerful message. Um, so this, I think, is a you know when we talk long-term athlete development, it's very closely related with a lot of the concepts that um, are uh, in physical education and you know, a lot of blurred lines there and um, not all strength coaches have physical education backgrounds anymore. Um, but talk about what are the similarities and differences of physical education and long-term athlete development, or is that not how we should, should be thinking of it um, as separate fields? Well, there's the classic uh, can of worms question right there. Huh? <laughs> so, um, interestingly, the physical education national standards uh, start off with the phrase a physically literate individual will, and it goes through the five different things that that person should know and be able to do and demonstrate. So physical education is perfectly poised to be a leader in this area. But one of the problems we have, and Joe alluded to it earlier when he's told us what the definition of athlete is. A lot of times if you have athlete in a sentence, people will turn off because they feel no, everybody's not an athlete. They equate athlete with elite athlete only. So sometimes what we're trying to promote and do kind of gets dismissed. So we're talking about the education and the leadership that are essential. Um, part of what we really need to do, and Joe mentioned earlier that um, all three of us are big on this collective impact idea. That yeah, we all know what we know and we do what we do and we do it well. But if we really want to advance what we're talking about with long-term athletic development, we all have to share with one another all of the positive resources that we have to really help this grow. Physical education knows developmentally what kids should know and be able to do at grade level sometimes, um, at least to have some curriculum and instruction behind that that supports what we do in the strength and conditioning realm. And in the strength and conditioning realm, we have a lot of useful information that hasn't really been implemented in a physical education setting so much as to how do you actually effectively warm up. I worked at the school district of Philadelphia for a number of years, and we would go visit schools, and some of the things we saw that was passing as a warm-up was deplorable. The students were walking around in street clothes, reading a newspaper to slow pace with their headphones on for five or 10 minutes, and they called that the warm up. You know, it's no wonder that kids are so disengaged with physical activity. We're not, strength and conditioning coaches have a great way of making it relevant to our athletes. And a lot of physical education teachers do that as well, but not always, because I think where they're coming from is somewhat different. And I think what we're seeing right now in our current situation is that physical education might not come back the same way as we, we've known it to be. And that's probably a good thing. I think we can get all of us on the same page and really look at LTAD and its impact, not just as a strength and conditioning or a fitness issue, but really a social justice issue. I, mean, I know most strength coaches are going, what the heck is he talking about now? But if we really start looking at it from a more global view, it strengthens all of our professions to be on the same page moving forward rather than working in our silos saying, well, as long as I'm in the gym, I'm happy. Well, yeah, you're happy, but we're really here for the athlete and for the student. So I think phys ed and strength and conditioning could do a lot more together. Just, just to follow up with what Rick said and, and, he started, you know, answer to his previous question correctly and, and stated that this is a, a very uh, large issue and question to answer. Um, you know, when we think about the, the, the outside framework, you know, there's a, a performance pathway and a participation pathway. 
And by far, the vast majority of us are going to follow the participation pathway. And so it's really a great opportunity when we talk about this collective impact uh, for physical education, because every child has to go to school. And so that's the venue where we can reach the most children. The next path is community recreation. Okay, so physical education, community recreation, we're talking about reaching the largest volume of children in the United States. And then, of course, we've got the club youth club model, uh, which is a pay-for-play type of framework or model, which reaches the fewest number of kids. Yet, much of our conversation starts with what's the path for my child or my daughter or son, whomever, to, uh, to get that college scholarship or that grant aid or, or, or whatever it might be. But I think we really, really need to emphasize how critical uh, physical education and community recreation are in really defining the participation pathway because you look at this crisis now that we're in, and I'm just looking out my window right now, and I haven't seen any kids outside doing anything. Maybe once or twice in the past week, riding a scooter for 10 or 15 minutes and they run back in the house. And I've even read of, of issues of parents trying to get their kids to do something, to move. Um, what does that speak to how we are, uh, lack of a better word, physically educating people to how to move outside of something that's structured? Nobody knows how to play anymore. And so that's what I alluded to earlier. We are literally physically illiterate in the United States uh, for the most part. And so we need to generate or create opportunities where we need to, as Rick would say, get back to a new normal, I guess. What is the new normal going to look like? Because the old normal just wasn't cutting it. Yeah. Uh, you lost me when you, when you said uh, you weren't, uh, you, you know, only being happy in the gym. I mean, I, I kind of tuned out right there, but no. Um, just kidding. The, um, are we up against, from an athletic standpoint, are we up against, uh, you know, kids grow up, that, that identify as athletes, you know, they searching for that scholarship or they want to be in the NFL or they want to go to the big leagues. Is that um, the, you know, that, that push for competing at the highest level, making that varsity team, um, is, is that the toughest message that we have to be um, combating with long-term athlete development early on? Um, or is the, you know, what, what's some of the language you guys associate with um, educating parents, athletes, coaches on kind of the right strategy towards pursuing athletic success? Hey, if that's the kid's dream, then that's fantastic. But oftentimes it's the parent's dream and not the kid's dream. So the, it, it's not being rooted correctly. I've never heard anybody say to a student who wants to excel in math, no, you can't do that because nobody's going to become a high level mathematician. But when we look at sports, for some reason, we look at it completely differently. And I think if we can say that it's the kid who wants to do that, our job is then to provide those resources. It may or may not happen, but it's not in our realm when they're seven, eight or nine years old to say, no, it's never going to happen. I think our job is to give all kids the tools that they can be the best they could possibly be. They might not go pro and we need to educate people that you know not everybody's gonna be the best of the best, that's why they're the best. They're only a small percentage of us can actually get to that level, but we need to be able to provide the kids the tools at every age of development so that they can continue to develop to the best of their ability. Hey Eric, I wanna answer that a little bit differently. Um, when I heard you talking, <clears throat> 
I think you were talking more about the competitive or performance kind of pathway. And a lot of young kids may have aspirations of playing collegiately or professionally and attaining, you know, high marks and athletics. And another thing that we always talk about in, in, you, in the analogy that we use is we have a lot of parents and youth coaches trying to microwave young athletes. And we're really skipping those early stages of fundamental movement skill acquisition and laying a good base and, and, a, and a good you know foundation to do more advanced things as they you know grow into adolescence and play high school sports and whatnot. I mean, we all know the case of these kids who come in as freshmen and they can't even do a body weight squat, right? But yet, you know, they want to load. Um, so it's, it's taking that slow cook approach um, to athletic development as well. And along those lines is also this uh, tendency that we see of overcompeting and undertraining, where you sign up for AAU basketball and you're playing six to eight games in a weekend or, you know, youth baseball and you're playing five, six, eight games in a weekend. And all you do is compete, 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 but you're physically you're not really ready, right, for the demands that are going to be placed upon your body and to, and to proficiently execute some of those sports skills. And hence, the reason why we end up with some, you know, injury as well. Yeah. So taking that now and what we know in this education initiative of long-term athlete development you know, I asked this question a lot on the podcast to coaches to be able to share kind of their perspective to as many of our listeners are young coaches getting into the field and wanting to learn. What advice do you, each of you have for young strength and conditioning coaches that are um, learning the craft and, um, in your opinion, would be better served by integrating long-term athlete development in their practice? Um, you know, how do you propose they do that? I'm just going to give one quick response here. Read the NSCA position statement on long-term athletic development word for word, very slowly, like read it word for word. You know, I, in giving some of these presentations, I asked the audience and oftentimes, you know, even at NSCA events and there's S and C coaches in the audience, like, Number one, have you ever heard of long-term athletic development? No. And then the next question, obviously, is a no as well, and that's they've never even heard of the position statement from the organization. And they may be, they may be practicing and training young athletes as well. So get in and read that statement. And obviously, that's just the educational aspect, and you have to hone your, you know, your practical skills as well. And understand youth and the ability to work with youth is really important. But, you know, get in and read that position statement. Yeah. Uh, so what for our listeners, what's the best way to connect with you guys um, in the special interest group or just personally? Well, for the special interest group itself, we actually have a uh, Facebook page, which is pretty active. So they could look at the NSCA long term athletic development special interest group page. They can connect with us there. You can collect on 
social media through the NSCA, you could help reach out. Or if you want, Eric, I'm more than happy to share information afterwards that you could share with everybody of how to reach out to any of us. And we're more than happy to connect. We do the LTAD playground. So if somebody's interested in having us come into their community and talk more about it, we're happy to go do that or whatever we can do to help. Yeah, it's so, so related to that and finding more information right now on the back end of my personal website, I have information on the LTAD playground and then also these LTAD chats that we've been talking about. It's a great way to get involved and start to interact with people in the space as well. Um, so yeah, my, my personal website is ironmanperformance.org. Um, and then, yeah, they can just go to the backslash LTAD chat, LTAD playground, and they'll find that information as well. Well, great. I, I just want to say thank you, Joe, Rick, and Tony uh, for being on the podcast. We will share your contact information as well as information about the Long-Term Athlete Development Special Interest Group uh, on the show notes for this episode. We also want to thank our sponsor, Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. And um, yeah, thanks again, guys. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you. thank you. Thanks for having us. We really love sharing the message, as you can tell. And if you're engaged on social media a lot like me, you'll also need to check out NSCA's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And to all of you listening, we appreciate your support. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe wherever you download your podcast from, write us a review, and keep listening in. Thank you, and I look forward to talking with you all soon. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.